0: In an ever-changing technology landscape, few innovations have captivated our collective imagination like generative AI. What once seemed like a distinct future is now a reality. There is no doubt that artificial intelligence is experiencing a landmark moment. Today on the AI Business Bytes podcast, we are joined by Martin Hickey, an open technology expert, open source developer, and software engineer at IBM, and JJ Ashgar, a developer advocate at IBM, and they discussed the importance of embracing generative AI to unlock value from developers' point of view.
1: So, honestly, Martin, we're here in Dubai at the JITECs, and AI is everywhere. Why should we care?
2: Why should we care about AI? That's a very good question. AI is going to help us build better applications, systems, services, and improve our world and our, our people, okay? So it's kind of, it's, it's a double-edged sword. No, I'm a developer. Am I afraid after t- nearly 30 years of uh, being in the industry that I'm going to lose my job? Hell yeah. But that's why I've embraced AI. Because I really believe with AI, we are going to go forward. Now, I said it today in my chat today. If you think AI isn't around, then you haven't been using a smartphone because You know, text generation is AI. It may be your traditional models, but it is AI. It is in every aspect of our lives, Okay, It's in our cars. It's in our fridges. It's everywhere. But what I think is, if you can take that AI and harness it, and this is, to me, it's exactly how we always called libraries to do work for us. Nobody wants to start from scratch. Why not use what's out there? If you have a model that's out there, and you can leverage that to give you the information
1: back, why not? But to follow up on that, how do we trust the models that are out there? Like, honestly, you go to huggingface.co, and there are thousands of models out there. Like, how do you choose, apart from experimentation, what's the best way to find a good model to, for the work you're trying to do? Do you know what comes into my head? We really, we
2: really should have put these questions on the paper. Right? It's the same now when our kids are grown up. You wouldn't tell your kid to just talk to anybody that comes up to them. Or you wouldn't hand the keys of your car to anybody that comes up to them. Or when you you started using the internet, you were told, don't open links you don't know, or don't go to sites you don't know. This is exactly the same. You don't take any model and give it your data without knowing where that model came from. And that's where you distinguish between consumer AI and business AI. As I said today, it's like the food on your plate. You want traceability from the farm to your fork. You want that lineage right across that say, where, what farm did that come from? Who uh, produced the, the produce? And then how did that produce get to you? So you know exactly where it came from. AI models should be the same. And if I'm a loud bringing about IBM, that's what Watson X provides you
1: with. Seems very reasonable. Okay, so we understand that AI is the future. We understand that we need to trust the models we come from. If I just want to step into this world, what would be the first thing you would do? Let's go with a developer first. Where, where would you experiment? Where, what would you do to say, hey, boss, I'm actually going to learn some AI work? I'm glad you said developer because that, <laughs> that's my persona. I'm going to say I'm a developer first and I'm a person
2: afterwards. Sure. Or is it the other way around? Uh, who knows? Who knows? All right, well, let's, let's go with the fun bit, OK? <laughs> As a developer, OK, if you're not a data scientist. No, I'm not. And not everybody's a data scientist, no. OK? And I have total respect for data scientists because they're working in a space that I'm only beginning to start to understand more and more, okay? But when I look at a model, I look at it as a program that can be run or a program that can be caught. So in its simplest terms, how a model comes about is data, its architecture, and then it provides us its model. And that model is wrapped up of the data, the uh, procedures or the program, and the binary then to call it. So for me, calling your model means it has to be served, which means hosted somewhere. Yep. So for example, like a service you put on the, on the cloud or running on your own machine, and then you call that service, like any service you ever called, yep. either through REST, through your favorite SDK or whatever. And then you ask that service for a request. So the request might be, I have um, information here from, maybe the callback details from, or call logs. And I want you to give me back what you think is the sentiment from the last six months. So for example, you run a customer service company and you want to find out are your customers happy when they give the feedback or not. Now, traditionally, like a lot of things in life, we took those logs and first of all, we manually went through them or we used greps Uh, we use maybe Elasticsearch or whatever, or we use the different observability tools. But now we're saying, you know what, we can use AI for that. We can say to AI, right, I've got this data. Please tell me what you think the sentiment is. You know, is it good? Is it not so good? Can we improve whatever for all the different feedback you see from our customers? So rather, we're, we're finding ways now where these models are, I suppose making it easier and faster for us to develop good applications.
1: Nice. With all the work around Watson X and the foundational models, I keep telling people that you can layer your data on top of the foundational models to get it more focused on what you're trying to do. If I wanted to step into this world, how much data should I put in front of it? Is it more the better? Or what is what is clean data? Like, how do I know what is good data, and how do I... How do I layer that on top of something like our foundational models? That's a good question,
2: but I'm going to answer a question with a question. Sure. Okay. what do you want to do? That'd be my question. So you have found the foundation model. What what do you need to do next? Because I think sometimes we're jumping in doing stuff without figuring out do we need to do that or not. Great question. So give me an example of what you want to do. So
1: my boss has come to me and said, JJ, we need AI in our ecosystem. We need to do something with it to make our lives better. Short-circuit something. I don't know what it is, but I'm learning to experiment with this space. I'll come along and see that Watson X has a bunch of these foundational models. Where do I go? That's where where I am. I, I keep talking to people over and over and over again about just stepping into this space has been overwhelming. And I'm trying to figure out a good narrative to give them floaties. I'm going to give a couple of stages on this.
2: First, one i would say is you need to stand back and say, you know, what is your use case? What is the scenario? What's going to do? It's kind of like that old adage where, you know, the developers ask to do something and they just go off and write a load of code. Yes. And they come back six months later and the manager goes, What is that? You told me to do such a No, I asked you to do this. Yes. But I've written all this code. Yeah, but we don't need that. It's kind of a bit like that. So first thing I'd say is, do you have a use case scenario? Do you have a situation where if this piece operation could be done more easily or simplify the way we're going to do it, then go for it. So then that's what I'd say first. The next thing I'd say then is, research your models. What models are out there? What are the tasks the models can do? Is there a task? Is there a model already there, a foundation model already there that can uh, do the task that you want yep. so for example, summarization, you know classification so maybe you want to go in and see um, the different uh, actors or different objects that are inside a particular document yep. you want to pull out out of an email you know organizations or places or whatever all those kind of things and if it's not then, is there a model very similar to what you want to do but not quite what it is. So you have two approaches then. So and this is where foundation models come into it. Like. This is where I suppose they bring that extra level where before with traditional models, you had to start again over scratch yes. because they were trained for a particular task and that was the task they worked on. Now you're looking at the layering in the model saying, right, okay, I'll take the top off the model or the head of it, or maybe even two or three layers in. And then if I bring in data, I can train it then so, you're going down this way, and then you funnel it to what you want. Not the way it was funneled off to the right or left. You're now funneling it down the center to what you want. So, you then use particular data. And that data depends on what you're trying to do. Sure. Uh what you're working on, what data you have. Because it's going to be your data, essentially. And then you can build a model and save that model. Okay? So, then you've created, essentially, your own model, but you haven't started from scratch. Okay. So, it's a, a little less time-consuming, and a little less cost, but it's still going to cost. Training these models are, are challenging. The other aspect then is, can you maybe feed inputs into the model to make it more specific to your needs? Okay. So the example I did was, and it's a simple example, is what I used a generic model like uh, the Meta model, uh, the Lama model from Meta, that provided you with you know, tasks like questions and answers, summarization. It was a generic large language model that does those things. But it also was fine-tuned for dialogue. Yes. So in that situation, when I gave it the right prompts, and my prompts were, I want to get information that's specific to someone's interest uh, about a particular country. Mm -hmm. And once I got those prompts right, I didn't have to create a new model. I was calling the model, but with the prompt. So I was guiding the model to give me the answer. And then that requires no training or overhead there. The cost then is in the inference, or what they call inferences, which is essentially calling the model to give you back the prediction or the
1: information you want. So when you use these prompts to get this coaxing the model to give you the information you're looking for, are you writing code to do that? Like It feels like you're, you're, you're using natural language almost as code to give, it the, give you the right answer back. Is that a good way to look at it? So you're not writing code specifically. But isn't, isn't language just code? Uh,
2: yeah, that's a good point, actually. So when I talked earlier about, you know, you call your model like you call a library yes. or a service, you're still calling the model, but you're given this prompt with it. So it's as, it's as if you're giving it parameters, so okay. to speak, okay. when you're calling the model and say, right. You're saying, look, I know you can do stuff, and you can do a lot of, of, of different things with, with language, but I want you to give me information on this specific thing. And that's what you're doing to so us. Well. And that's where, I suppose, before you even do that, you're going to play around with model and models yep. and change changing your different prompts and stuff. And that's something I did today uh, uh, using the prompt tuning from, from WatsonX.
1: So, so you touched on this earlier, but I, I want to come back to this because it was, it was very interesting where I heard echoes of, figure out why you need AI before going down this AI path. Didn't we have that same conversation with cloud native? Didn't we have the same conversation with the cloud? Didn't we have the same, this conversation with VMs, for that matter? Is it the same thing, or is there something else there that we're not, we're not seeing? Yeah,
2: I think this is important, because sometimes the technology, you know, we create hammers and everything's in the end. Yeah, that, that phrase, you know? yeah, yeah. um, and we have to be careful a bit with that. Sure. So what I said earlier is you use your AI when AI is going to help your solution, because at the end of the day, when you first set out as a developer, you want to write code. Then maybe like life, as you get older and you mature and so forth you learn things about life and things aren't just ones and zeros. There's a little bit more to it. So you learn that when you're working with a client or a customer or whatever, and this is what I like about IBM. They want to make a a client or customer's job easier. They want to help a client or customer, they help their customers and so forth. So it's about the solution. And if you can use a model or if you can create a model from scratch or you can fine tune a model or whatever to help you, to help your customers, then that's the way to do it. But just using AI for the sake of AI, without knowing what you want to use it for, then that's a recipe for disaster. And you end up with spaghetti code and all sorts of problems after that.
1: So use the right tool for the right job. I think on that note, sir, thank you so much for this conversation. I it was a penalty All right, buddy.
0: Thank you for listening to the AI Business Bytes podcast. The world is excited about AI, and we're excited about bringing the AI for Business conversation to you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, reach out to us on ibm.com forward slash WatsonX. Watch this space for further conversations from our thought leaders in our next AI Business Bytes podcast.